Welcome to Rediscovering Earth's Lost Topography. Today, I have a special guest, Joe Cassida. I met Joe Cassida at Solid Rock Baptist Church. That's where Joe preaches at. And we've become really good friends. And Joe has done um, a lot of traveling. And I would like to... Uh, introduce Joe to you. Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about some of the areas that you've actually gone to? Yeah, so uh, I was raised uh, in a military family, which involves pretty extensive travel. And with that traveling, of course, my, uh, my dad was an outdoorsman and hunting, fishing, hiking. So wherever we were stationed at, there was always a, a hiking or fishing or hunting in the, in the area around the base. My dad was in the Air Force. And most of my childhood was spent out west in uh, places like Texas and Montana and Colorado. And so that's kind of where I developed a, an appreciation for the outdoors and uh, of course, now that we live in Missouri, um, you know, I've appreciated Missouri, even though it doesn't have the grand Rocky Mountain peaks. It still has its own kind of beauty. Uh, but, yeah, that's where uh, my appreciation for the outdoors comes from. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually had people ask me because um, – and uh, that's one thing that I've had several people ask me, what's one of the prettiest states I've ever been to? Um, I know that the Smoky Mountains are gorgeous and stuff like yeah. that. I've been there. Uh, there's certain areas, mostly east, um, that I've gone. Um, I've been to some areas out west uh, but trying to think of some of the prettiest areas in and especially when you mention Missouri there's places in Missouri that people don't even realize are there a lot of times you have to go off trail to find them like mm -hmm. Hickory Canyon for example right. have you ever been to Hickory Canyon? No, no, I. you know what's Unfortunately, my experience with Missouri seems to be kind of limited, uh, mostly because I come here uh, and, you know, hit the ground running with ministry and, it, you know, family, kids, ministry, homeschool the kids. We stayed pretty busy over the years. But now that I'm seeing, you know, the children are growing up and moving out and maybe there's going to be more opportunities for exploring Missouri. But... Um, you know, the thing about uh, uh, America is people have this idea that all of the pretty areas are on the East Coast or the West Coast, and they sort of derogatorily refer to the in-between areas as flyover country. Or they say that, you know, a common uh, false idea I think people have is everything is a cornfield. You know, if you travel from 
east coast to west coast, once you get out of the mountains, everything's a cornfield. And that all the states kind of look the same. And I disagree. I think people have that idea because they drive on the interstates and it seems like all of the cornfields are near the interstate. But if you go off the beaten, the, the beaten trail, the beaten path, um, each state has its unique sort of a look, you know. It does. And uh, I think it's, you know, we were talking before the, we started recording that Kansas you know, is not, to, to most people, Kansas is not a very uh, scenic place to visit. In fact, uh, you know, I go through Kansas a lot because my folks live in Colorado and we travel there uh, at least twice a year nearly. And in some of the truck stops in Kansas, you'll see a T-shirt. I, I've seen this T-shirt that says uh, the top four reasons for going to Kansas. And I forget uh Maybe it's four or five reasons, but all of the reasons were because you wanted to get to a neighboring state. You know, <laughs> number one reason because we're going to Colorado. Number two reason is we're going to Missouri or whatever. You know, and so even I think Kansans they sort of poke at themselves about their state having this sort of a lack of attraction to it, but it does have its own beauty. You know, it's it, I know people say it's flat and boring, but I find a certain beauty in the flatness of Kansas. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's beauty in the Rocky Mountains. There's beauty in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, you just have to know where to look, right? Correct. And learn how to appreciate it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the truth. And the car horns don't start blaring until we start recording. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if you guys are hearing the horns, that's because we pushed the record button. Um, prior to that, there was no horns. No. So... <laughs> um, but yeah, the the really cool thing that I can say, you know, is as far as the other areas here in in the United States, um, you've gone to other states as well, is correct? Such as like Colorado, yeah, and stuff yeah. Like as that. far as living in places, yeah, um, traveling. Um, well, most of the states that I've been to have, have been traveling through to get to another place. Um, but we spent some time uh, in my childhood living in Texas, uh, Montana, Colorado, of course, Washington. Spent a short amount of time in Japan. Um, but in each of those places, you know, my my dad being the outdoor enthusiast that he was, we, you know, we visited it visited it, it, it. <laughs> we visited uh you know in washington mount rainier which is gorgeous it's you're talking about the prettiest places in my memory i remember mount rainier being one of the prettiest places we visited and in uh japan there was mount fuji um i don't remember much of that in Colorado, of course, there's the Rocky Mountains and Pikes Peak. Um, and in Texas, uh, we lived in southern Texas at the time, and they didn't have any grand mountains to climb, but, you know, there was plenty of uh, country to explore. Um, but, yeah, all of those those places have their own unique beauty. Yeah, they they do. I the uh, So you said your dad is was big into the outdoors yeah so you do a lot of fishing and stuff and 
uh, hunting as well? Or did I you... did. I, I did a lot of it growing up. Um, and, of course, the busyness of uh, ministry kind of has inhibited me from doing as much of that as I'd like to in my latter years. But uh, I grew up doing quite a bit of fishing and hunting and uh, hiking and camping and all of that. Uh, and the uh, you, the show's called Lost Topography, right? Yes, it is. And we were talking about that before the, the recording, the podcast started, and about how the world around us has changed, and um, we don't know what it, oftentimes we don't know what it was before. Uh, and you, we had talked about, uh, in Colorado there is a Manitou incline, which is at the foot of Pikes Peak. And I forget exactly how long. It's a hiking trail, and it's, it's considered uh, an extreme hiking trail because it's so very steep. But before it was a hiking trail, I think they used it as a cog railroad, a cog, a cog railway to, to get to, towards the top of Pikes Peak. Uh, and, but now they've converted it. The cog railway is in a different spot which if you ever get to Colorado Springs, you should definitely take the Cog Railroad up to the top of Pikes Peak. It's a little pricey for a ticket, but it's worth it. Um, however, the Manitou Incline now is a hiking trail, and it's uh, exceedingly steep. And in fact, in some spots, it's so steep, it might as well be like climbing a stepladder. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, yeah, but it's tremendous. It's a, once you get to the top, it's a, just a tremendous view of Colorado Springs and... Of course, it's also a challenge to uh, your athletic ability. Um, for me, I think it took me like an hour and a half my first time because I am not in pristine athletic condition. But uh, for those who are really uh, in shape athletically, they can do it in 30 minutes. But that's quite a feat. And how tall is that? I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't even think it's... Uh, I don't even think it's two miles. Let me uh, look that up real quick. Why well, not two miles and and going uphill the whole time? <laughs> it is definitely that's, uphill the the whole time. Yeah, that's pretty pretty intense. So I'm sorry, it's not even a mile. It's okay. point eighty eight miles, um, and that's and that's like nearly straight up the whole time. There is what they call a, a false peak where be, because of the, the steepness of the, the trail, and it's, it's like really straight, right? It's not a winding trail. It is a straight shot from the bottom to the top, but there's a false peak where you, you think you see the top, but once you get there, you realize this isn't the top. Oh. And so there's like a, a small area where it's somewhat horizontal, and then it, the trail restarts. And so it, it is this... Uh, this great overwhelming disappointment. If you're if you're not prepared for that, you get to the false peak and you realize you've still got a long way to go to get to the top. That's wild. Yeah, but it's it's a tremendous trail, and but it's one of those, uh, it's one of those uh, those areas where it wasn't originally designed as a hiking trail. It was something entirely different. It was some sort of a I think it was a supply line or something. Uh, originally, a, a, a tracks for the cog rail, the cog railroad right there at Pikes Peak. So, but, with that being that, is is there a cable or something with it being that steep that you hold on to? Or is oh there... no, 
No, yep. there's no cable. And the only thing you can hold on to is the other person walking next to you. <laughs> <laughs> so no rungs or anything like that? No. There's, there's, I mean, it's not like a drop-off on either side. I mean, it's, if you fall backwards, you're going to keep falling until you reach the bottom. Woo! Uh, Man. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's no, and it's been a few years. Maybe they put a rail in since then. I don't think they have, though. But uh, it's, it's, there's no handrail, there's no guardrail. There is just you and the dirt in front of you, and, of course, uh, they use the timbers to make steps, the railroad timbers to make steps. Uh, and so, you know, that's what you're holding on to is uh, your sheer will to persist till you get to the top and sometimes the step in front of you because it does get steep enough to where it is. It feels like you're going up a step ladder. That's crazy. I mean, that's it sounds beautiful. Um, and that false peak, is that what or, you said yeah. it was? False, false summit, false peak. Yeah, where you think you're getting to the top, and you're, you're, you know, you have this sort of uh, elation that you're almost there, and then when you get there, you're like, oh, we're not done, are we? There's more to go, a lot more to go. <laughs> so that's what how I would say maybe a third, dude, halfway up. Yeah, I think it's about halfway, give or take. It's not like perfectly halfway, but. It, it's it's you know they call it the false summit and they you know if you go to the gift shop you know they have uh t-shirts and stuff and some of them are humorous and i think one of them says something like i survived the false summit or something like that in other words there's just this for new newcomers to the to the trail who's never who've never climbed it there is just this sort of sense of i can't believe i'm not done yet when you get to the to the false summit so is it is that saying true, basically, that it's easier going up than it is coming down? Uh, I don't th- I don't think it's easier going up. So it's just as hard going up as it is coming down on there? I think it's harder to go up. I mean, it, you know, here's the thing about coming down. Um, it's not hard on your body as far as aerobically, but it's hard on your body in that doing those negatives with your legs yes. for .88 miles. You're gonna feel it the next day. It's gonna your legs are gonna hurt. Oh yeah. But That's... it's I mean, I kid you not, climbing that in again, I am not in peak athletic shape, not even close. But I can get to the top of the incline. And near the top, you look around to those other hikers, and many of them are not in peak athletic shape either. And we are literally taking one step at a time because our legs are so fatigued you know, that burn, and uh, you, you can't, you're physically unable to do more than one step. Stop, breathe, another step, stop, breathe. And not only that, but you're, you're talking um, a higher elevation than what most people are used to, because um, it's Colorado. Right. So, uh, you know, the air is thin, and the trail is steep. And there's a warning sign at the bottom, you know, if you have health conditions or heart conditions or whatever, you advise not to, to attempt to climb the incline. I would hope most people would realize that. I mean, especially, yeah. you know, after starting it and finding out. Because, I mean, I've been on some trails that are steep, nowhere near what you're talking about. Well, yeah, it's there, not only is it steep, it's just steep for a long time. Well, right. it's steep the whole way. Um, 
And supposedly, you asked about going up versus coming down. Supposedly, and again, this could be, this could have changed, but I think they discourage you from coming down. You're supposed to take a different trail to come down. Oh, um, okay. So they don't, but people do. I mean, when I was hiking this, and I've done it twice, people are coming down the steps. They're coming down the trail, uh, the Manitou Incline, that is. But you're not supposed to. Unless they've changed the rules, they, they, they discourage that. I'm not sure why. Maybe because of traffic, because there's so many people going up that could cause issues when you have two, you know, two directions. And it's not a huge trail, right? So, um, I mean, it's, it's wide enough for several people to go up at the same time. But, you know, when you've got guys coming down and sometimes they've got dogs or children and maybe it just was too dangerous. Um, yeah, when you get to the top, uh, now there's a what they call the bailout, which is about halfway. If you can't make it, you take this side trail and you get off and you come down. And I think it connects to, uh, oh, the, I forget the name of it, the Pikes Peak Trail. It's the trail that goes to the top of Pikes Peak. Uh, but you can, you, you can get off on that and come back down to Manitou Springs. That sounds, so there's, is there an actual spring that's coming? In Manitou Springs? Yes. I don't know. Good question. I mean, I'm assuming so. There's Colorado Springs. I think they had springs in Colorado Springs. And yeah, they got Col- yeah, springs all over Colorado. Yeah. As and far as. I mean, that's the name of the town, Colorado Springs. It's the yep. foot of Pikes Peak. There probably is somewhere in Manitou Springs a spring. I, I just don't recall seeing it or even looking for it no gift shops halfway up right <laughs> no no there's only a bench a bench yeah well uh there's a bench near the bailout and uh, i think that's about it wow there's a gift shop at the bottom yeah well that's you know i've on the trails that i've hiked and especially the steep ones that i've considered steep which have been like either in the White Mountains or uh, the Smoky Mountains and areas like that. Um, I specifically carry trekking poles, especially now, because to me, going up, and I always say trekking poles are kind of like four-wheel drive. You can use your shoulders, your arms, your feet, your legs. Yeah, that Um, way you can wear out all of your body, not just your knees, right? (laughs) Yeah, wear out all of it. I I would say train before you definitely do it because uh, if you don't know how to properly use trekking poles, you can injure your shoulders or your arms or whatever. But the thing that I find with trekking poles is that, um, you know, they save your knees totally. Right. Um, They're... They are fantastic for stopping you from blowing your knees out on yeah. the way down because some of the places I've gone, which, again, none of these are like what you just spoke, but, I mean, it, sometimes it feels like it's a long ways <laughs> going down or a long ways going up. Yeah. Um, but there's a place like even in Arkansas. Have you been to Arkansas? I have been to Arkansas. Not. I mean, let's see. Um I don't remember why. Probably traveling through. I remember being in uh, Little Rock. Um, I think I was traveling through Arkansas, but not going to Arkansas a few times. 
Yeah, there's some absolutely gorgeous spots in Arkansas, yeah. northern Arkansas. There's the Buffalo River. Yeah, you know, every state has its its beauty, doesn't it? It does. Every place does. Every I mean. single solitary state. I mean, even like you just said, I mean, Kansas, I mean, right now I can't think of any place other than driving through Kansas myself. All I can think of is how flat it was. But I'm sure that there is a ton of areas yeah. that are just gyms because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm a caver. And what people don't realize is, you know, all these people that are walking the earth and stuff like that and have never been underground. And I mean truly underground, not on a tour cave. Right. But truly underground to a wild cave Hmm. or even a virgin cave um and virgin caves are i mean i've only been into several of them in the whole time that i've actually been caving and i can remember one virgin cave that i went to and we're talking here in missouri but what I'm kind of getting to at this point is when you're in Kansas and you're looking straight ahead and you see nothing but flat, all you see is flat and fields. And probably do you see cattle and all that kind of stuff along the highway? Oh, yeah. You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because we were contacted, a friend of mine was contacted and uh, it was a farmer that his gravel road going up to his house, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, and he had this spring, just huge, huge amount of water shooting out from the other side of his gravel driveway, hmm. and he was concerned about that, but then there was no way for us to like go into that spring, the amount of water that was coming out of it was way too forceful for anybody to go into. Um, But the other thing that he did mention to us is he had some rocks out in the middle of his cattle area that Mm. between these rocks, he had some air coming up. Uh. And in that huge flat field, there was just these few rocks that were just stacked basically I mean, they weren't stacked. They were gorgeous, big rocks. They had moss growing on them and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you really couldn't see them. Hmm. And I was driving my truck out through this field with this farmer guiding us. And he's like, here's the spot. If you guys think that it's a cave, you guys have my permission to enter. Wow. And we actually got to go into it was a very, very, very tight squeeze. Um, <laughs> actually, had to take our helmets off and shove our helmets into the cave before we got into it. But that was a pure virgin cave. Wow. Never entered by anyone before. And it is absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. So I know it sounds like we're jumping from subject to subject, but we're actually not. We're talking about the fact that Kansas is flat. This farm field's flat. When you're looking at that farm field, you're like, well, it's just a big old flat field right. with nothing but cattle. Well, 
but it's not. I mean, yeah. there's underground Hidden passages beauties. that are just gorgeous, and it's almost like snow and ice hmm. when we went in there. And once we got back into the cave, um, we got to a certain point where the wind that was coming out was pretty forceful, hmm. and it was blowing over the top of us. We still were not on our feet yet. This was still on our stomachs. But we realized that we were going to have to come back with webbing and rope. Wow. And the only way to get down into that cave, because the next spot down was a long ways down. So it had to be descended. And we had to come back to actually go further into the cave. But that's basically a virgin cave for you. And the beauty that people don't see with their eyes right and we're talking like lost topography and stuff like that there's a lot of um areas that what's really sad is younger people now never really got to see the natural side of um there's so many state parks and so many springs and stuff like that that when we were younger you'd go to and you had to actually hike the trail to get back to them. Yeah. There was no boardwalks. No. There was no handrails yep. or anything like that. It was all rugged trail to yeah. get back. I just uh, recently visited my mom and dad. They live in Colorado Springs. And one of the peaks uh, on the front range, near the front range there in Colorado Springs, is Blodgett Peak. And as a teenager, we hiked up to the top of Blodgett Peak, and there were, but we did not have a trail, right? And evidently now there's all kinds of trails. Uh, in fact, we just uh, hiked one in our last trip. We didn't go to the top of Blodgett, but um, it was at the base of it, uh, and there was all kinds of nice trails. I mean, I think it's it's pretty neat that it's more accessible to people now. But at the same time, you sort of lose a certain sense of discovery. You know what I mean? What is? Uh, I know on, on Blodgett Peak uh, in World War II, I think it was, there, uh, there was a cargo plane that crashed on the side of Blodgett Peak. And, uh, you know, we had heard about this uh, when I was a, a teenager, uh, that there was a plane crash site up on the top or on the side of the mountain and so my two brothers and uh, my friend Kevin and my dad we went hiking to look for it and we, f- we found the crash site and it was uh, I mean, we hiked in the summertime but it was there was still some snow on the ground and you know we found pieces of the wreckage and uh, you could even I remember seeing uh, what must have been uh, the the impact site or near the impact site because this large boulder was wedged off the ground, suspended between two trees. So the wow. plane must have hit this boulder and launched it, and somehow it it wedged between these trees, and and you know, the trees grew up and had the rock between them. Um, and my friend, he fell through some of the snow that had crusted over the top. You know how it's sometimes it'll give underneath oh, your yeah. feet. Yep. He fell through and he he cut his leg open on a piece of the wreckage. Wow. Uh, yeah, and there's not a lot of the wreckage left. I think over the years it's been 
uh, essentially, you know, grave robbers, right? People come in, they take a piece of the wreckage as a memento, and there's not a whole lot left. But now uh, you can find it, I think, different apps, different hiking apps. They have, you know, how to get there, and um, people post pictures. I think some of the cadets from the Air Force Academy even built a memorial at this uh, crash site, and none of that was in existence when I was a teenager. Holy you know, you, you basically had to go and essentially, uh, you know, find it from what other people have said about the area, like, you know, find this creek, hang a left, you know, go for a few miles. And, uh, but now it's, uh, you can find trails to get there uh, with hiking applications. I forget the name of the applications that people There's use. There's a lot of them. I know. I mean, uh, it's nonstop applications now that basically guide people down trails and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's something that I talk a lot about, too, is, and you just mentioned it earlier, um, is off the beaten path. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff, if you want to find some of the really, really pretty stuff, they don't actually have that on the trails. Yeah. And I'm not saying that for people to go off trails and destroy areas. Right. I'm saying this because they're, and by no means, if you are not a skilled person that knows how to read a topographical map and use a compass, don't carry a GPS out there with you and try to get to some of these locations because you'll find out that there's certain areas, and I've been to certain areas, where a GPS doesn't actually give you really good coordinates oh, wow. okay. and stuff like that, yeah. as well as oh, and okay. all that kind of stuff that's in Earth. Yeah. So, okay. so if there's like, but there's certain areas, and it's not just in Missouri. It, there's other areas as well. Hmm. Interesting. But, um, but yeah, there is areas that your compass will not read accurately, or hmm. um, you can actually take your compass and set it close to the ground, and that narc needle will bottom out on the compass. Oh wow! So, yeah, if you're setting a topographical map on the ground and trying to read it down there, yeah. <laughs> It's not going to take place. Oh. So, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, but yeah, there's, um, yeah, getting to the fact of, you know, how it was when we were kids and how it is now. I look back at some of the pictures I took when I was a kid at some of these springs that I used to go to, mm -hmm. and it was awesome. Um, have you ever heard of a place called Hahatanka? I have. Have you ever been there? I have not. Okay. Well, Hahatanka is actually a castle that's up on top of a, way, way up on top of a bluff. Hmm. It used to be when we were young that there was only one way to get to the top of that bluff, pretty yeah. much. It was, well, actually two ways, I'm sorry. One was by car. And you drove up to it, and then you just hiked back to it. Hmm. But the other way was you parked down below, and then you walked this trail, and then the trail just disappeared, hmm. and it was a bluff. And basically, you could climb the bluff, which was a long ways up hmm. to the castle. Yeah, um, That actually uh, was a castle that um, I forgot 
the whole story about it, but basically a, a guy was building that castle and um, the ruins that are left, which is all rock, um, hmm. but it still has like, I mean, it still has some structure to it. You can still see hmm. what it was like, but, um, but yeah, as far as that, I mean, it's kind of cool how you can look at something like that. That actually burned up. Um, that's what caused that castle to oh, become wow. ruins. But when you look back at something like that and you think, wow, what did this look like when it was being built? What did it look like right. when the guy actually had this place built and stuff like that? There was fireplaces all over. You could see that. They're yeah. still remaining. Um, but the whole purpose I'm getting to with this is the fact of, like, even – for example, like this church that we're actually doing this podcast in right now, mm-hmm. uh, Solid Rock Baptist Church, um, it has a lot of history behind the church because this church supposedly was not here. You guys, not you, you didn't have this place built. No, no. It was actually moved here from a different location. Is that correct? That's the story. So, uh, I started Solid Rock Baptist Church in 97. Well, that's when we came to St. Louis to start the church. And then um, about 2000, let me get my dates straight here. We were in Rock Hill for a while. Uh, and then we had a small building, didn't have a parking lot. It was in a residential neighborhood. And we wanted a place that was bigger and had a parking lot. And long story short, Maryland Heights Bible Church was uh, closing, and uh, they were going to dissolve as a church, and they wanted to sell the building to uh, a church that was similar to them in beliefs so that the surviving members could still attend church here at this location. And that turned out to be us. We um, uh, merged with them. About, I guess, uh, 17 years ago, so about the year 2007, in the summer of 2007, we merged. And the, the membership was primarily older people. And uh, they remember when the church was, the building was built. Um, the, of course, they were children at the time. But there's two, two different stories about what the building was. One of the stories is that it was a school building in the city of St. Louis and that during World War II when uh, supplies were precious and, I mean, it was hard to get a building program going during the war effort, so you recycled everything, right? And supposedly it was a school building. They took it apart piece by piece in the city, and then they reassembled it here in Maryland Heights. The other story, which I think you and I have said it probably is more likely, is that when Jefferson Barracks was uh, renewing some other facilities, that one of the barracks was taken apart piece by piece, transported up here to Maryland Heights and put back together. And if you look at some of the pictures of the old Jefferson Barracks uh, facilities, it looks very similar to you know what the church is now. 
And uh, so that's, that's the two stories. I, I think the latter story is probably the most accurate, at least in my opinion. So, you know, yeah, they built this building, uh, having repurposed it from being an army barracks to becoming a church building. That's awesome. And, I mean, I, I do agree with you because you know as well as I, and we've talked for a long time about this because I've been doing a lot of research and trying to, like, dig up information about the church and stuff yeah. like that of where it came from. Um, it's really hard to get actual <laughs> yeah, um, actual uh proof of i guess where it came from yeah but there's a lot of information out there um which does lean towards the second part of what you just yeah, mentioned being a former but, army barracks right because i mean uh i mean there's uh proof of this area you know being a uh well before it was farmland prior um, but prior to that, it was, uh, I think they started building airplane parts or something like that for different aircraft in this vicinity. Yeah. Um, so, um, not this building, but per se close by here. Right. Um, but the building does have, a basically a historical look to it on the inside and the outside. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing what, uh, you know, they, the resourcefulness of that generation, you know, having to, to do the best you can with what you have. Even turning an army barracks into a church building, it doesn't sound very appealing. But, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I grew up on military installations, and when I first saw this building, I didn't think it was a military barracks. It looked like a church building to me. It does. It looks like a church building to me right now. But I mean, but as you said, I mean, especially because you said part of this building is still like, what, two thirds of this building downstairs is still like the original. Yeah, well, uh, we're sitting in the original sanctuary. What used to be, uh, if the story is true, the I guess the. The army bar the main room in the army barracks. I think the old barracks used to just be one big room with a bunch of bunk beds in it. Okay. You know, and so this was probably exactly what that was used for. Yeah, I mean, if you do look at it like that, I mean, I wasn't in the military, but as far as barracks goes, I mean, I can imagine this with bunks and stuff like that in here. Yeah. And rows of bunks on either side. And yep. Uh, an aisle down the middle. Pretty much. Um, and the troops would have had their... their uh, foot you know, lockers? Yeah, their foot lockers at the foot of the bunks. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how... I mean, maybe they used it for a different purpose, but, again, that's, that's the story. Yeah, and that's actually pretty cool. I mean, I know that Maryland Heights has some uh, pretty cool stories within Maryland Heights. Um, yeah. Even Creek Core Park. Uh, yeah. They used, they had the waterfall down there, which uh, basically how Creek Core got the name. Yes. Um, Broken Heart. 
Broken heart, yep. yeah. But I don't know what happened to that sign. Do you know what happened to that sign that was at the bottom of the waterfall? That it's, sign is gone. Is it? Last I time I was there. Oh, well, it's it's been, I mean, I've, I've been there recently, but I haven't been to the waterfalls recently. I didn't notice that it was gone. Yeah. So, that's, huh. I mean. I wonder why they did that. Maybe they're redoing it or something. It's been, I mean, I was down there multiple times, and it's been gone every time I was down there. They took it completely down. So, oh. And it wasn't like the sign was rotten off at the bottom because oh. it was. Uh, strange. Yeah, it is very strange. Well, tell the tell the listeners what was on the sign. I don't know that I remember correctly. I can't remember exactly. It had to do with a, uh, um, was it Osage? I don't remember. Uh, it was about an Indian couple, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and she, I'm, I'm just guessing. I would have to pull it up. Um, I could accurately tell you in an yeah. upcoming podcast, but... Yeah. Um, because I do have actual photographs of that area. Okay. Um, but the, I know it had to do with something about an Indian leaping off or to her death. To her death. Or Maybe that I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be that guy that always kind of is suspicious about everything. But maybe there was something offensive in the narrative that they decided shouldn't be. Yeah. That's actually what I wondered, too. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. I didn't even know the sign was gone. but It is. It's uh, gone. Interesting. And I actually kind of was very curious about that because of some of the stuff that, you know, yeah. is going on right now, whether that is actually yeah. the case that they took it down due to, you know, yeah. certain people complaining about it right. or, or what. But right. No, it's uh, so. Other than that, I mean, you've gone, you've been off trail as well, correct? Uh, yeah. And is there specific like, have you gone backpacking or anything like that? Um, I mean, yeah, I've done a host of that. I, I feel like I'm reminiscing over my childhood more than uh, recent years, but yeah, we used to do that stuff all the time when I was a kid off-trail hiking and backpacking and camping. Yeah, it's that's one thing that um, I think is is definitely really cool um, is a lot of the areas that I've gone, and I know we mentioned it earlier, where a lot of the really pretty areas are off-trail. Yeah. Um, but... And I mentioned to you about Hickory Canyon. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of funny because I went to Hickory Canyon. Um, it's owned by the Ladd Foundation. Mm. Most people think that it's owned by the Missouri Department of Conservation. Mm. But um, the Ladd Foundation, uh, Leo Dre, which has passed away, um, but the Ladd Foundation is still in existence to today. Hmm. Um, what that organization does is they will go find places that are absolutely beautiful and keep them from being built up. They will buy them. Wow. Um, and then basically they will lease them to the conservation department. Hmm. Um, after they lease them to the conservation department, conservation department needs to follow 
the rules yeah. of what Lad Foundation they have stipulations. Requires. Yes, hmm. because they can always take that back. Right. Um, but the cool thing was. So it's almost like they're helping the conservation department be conservationists. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, well, and you know, one thing that like a lot of my friends that are, you know, outdoors people as well, they're, um, big on the fact of like, you know, these people nailing signs to trees and stuff mm. like that out yeah. in parks. And we're in disagreement with that. I don't think that anything, cause trees are continually growing. Yeah. And have you ever seen a tree that had a sign nailed to it and never moved? And that's, <laughs> that tree actually starts growing around that sign. Yeah. I have a, I have an example of that in my own yard. Do you really? I, well, it's not a sign, but, um, we, I planted a corkscrew willow in a corner of my yard and one year I was cleaning out my shed and I had a, a deer stand that I needed to put somewhere. So I put it on the tree, right? It's until I could get my shed cleaned out. And long story short, there was a, a tree fall that smashed the shed. And so I had to rebuild a shed. It, it took like a couple of seasons for me to get to where I could put stuff back in the shed that was demolished. And by that time, the tree has swallowed a great deal of the chain that was holding the tree stand to the tree. So now the tree stand is a permanent feature of the tree. And don't I, you find that amazing? Yeah, it grew right around it. And, yep. and I can't see the chain anymore. I can't get the tree stand off. It's a permanent feature of this tree now. Well, and that's one reason why I just mentioned about the signs being nailed to trees. Yeah. Is because I think that's wrong, and so does a lot of my friends. They totally disagree with that as well. Yes, I've been on trails that have signs saying, uh, you know, you're going down a steep hill, and all you can see up ahead of you is a very, very, very steep hill, and all of a sudden... It looks like there is no more ground. Yeah. Well, I've seen signs out there that say caution, bluff ahead. Yeah. I mean, for people that bring their kids out there, I mean, obviously that's a good sign to have. Right. But not nailed to a tree. They can post that into the ground. Right. Or something like that. And um, even if you post that into the ground, you know, with concrete or something like that, but don't destroy the trees or the nature and stuff like that. Because, right. you know, when we go out and take pictures and stuff like that, you want to take pictures of the beauty and stuff like that. Do you want to take a picture of a, a tree that's halfway grown around a sign or <laughs> three quarters away grown around a sign? Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, so, I, maybe some of the concern is also that if you damage the bark, it can it can make the tree susceptible to disease. It is susceptible, yeah. very susceptible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons that trees, I mean, I don't consider myself a tree hugger, <laughs> per se. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I'm not one of the uh, people that, you know, go out and chain myself to a tree, but uh, 
Um, well, conservation is exactly that, right? What's that? Conserving what we have as far as the natural beauty that we enjoy. They should. Yeah, we try to protect it. I remember as a, as a little boy going out uh, hunting with my dad, dove hunting in, in um, Montana. And I mean, I was probably like four, right? I wasn't carrying a gun. I was just coming with him, uh, you know, walking with him. Uh, and he would bring a, a bag. And if we found trash, we would pick it up. Exactly. I mean, every time we were out, I mean, we would we would pick up the trash that we find. And so my earliest memories of being out in the woods uh, with my father is making it look better than when we came in. And, you know, that's... That's, that's 100% true. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if we went fishing, we took a bag. And oftentimes we were picking up other people's fishing line that was on the shore or, you know styrofoam worm boxes and because his his philosophy was you know uh make it look like it was intended to look yep you know and, and clean up after you don't just pack out your garbage but if you can pack out the other garbage that people have left behind and there's always that isn't there there's always that and i always have that same exact thought i mean I can remember back when I was younger, I used to do float trips. I used to do tons of hiking trips, and I always carried mesh bags with me. Mm -hmm. um, actual mesh bags. Now on float trips, they give a lot of the people that rent boats and stuff like that, they give them mesh bags to put onto the boat so they can throw their trash into them and stuff like yeah. that. But we didn't go out specifically for that. Um, a buddy of mine's doing a river cleanup on the St. Francis River uh, this week or next week, I think. Hmm. And I used to do that as well. Um, you'd be shocked of how much trash you find in some of these streams. I and know. It's, it's amazing. It is just outstanding that uh, there's so much out there, but there is people like ourselves and like the people that go out and do river cleanups yeah um that basically they're i think that's great because they don't you know they're putting in their own time they're not yeah. getting paid to go out there and collect right. the trash out but we've actually pulled tires out of creeks oh sure um i mean you'll be surprised what you can find in some of these creeks and the water's crystal clear in a lot of these areas and I mean, it's amazing because some of the areas, even though it's crystal clear, it turns aqua blue and mm -hmm. it gets deeper. Yeah. And you have to sometimes dive down to see what's in that hole. But a right. lot of times those holes will keep the trash. Mm -hmm. And that's really sad because all yeah. you're doing is you're destroying the environment by not taking out what you brought in well people so, i don't know i guess people think in their heads that it magically goes away it doesn't yeah I, it doesn't. i'm not sure what they think i'm i mean it's sad to try to think of what they're thinking because <laughs> so i think not. a lot of them are going out there and getting drunk and just when they're right. done they just throw their stuff off the side of the boat or 
off into the woods yeah. or whatever. You know, um, they recently did the redid the the rainwater collection system here on our street. And uh, you know, they've got in our area they've got these signs on the the well, they used to call them sewer covers, but they're not technically sewers; they're rainwater collectors. Right. Um, but you know, it has a, a, a like a fish on it, and says that you know this goes to a stream. Please don't dump paint or oil or whatever. And uh, last summer, I was walking out of our church building here to go get the mail, and these kids were coming home from school, and this kid finishes his water bottle, and he chucks the plastic bottle right into the rainwater collector and he saw me look at him because I was actually headed to the mailbox and he thought he was in trouble for you know throwing his trash in the yard of the church and I didn't fuss at him but he started apologizing and and I asked him I said why do you throw it in there and he's like well he didn't really have a great answer his response was essentially you know it's not going to hurt anything I said that you know, that bottle goes somewhere. Somebody's going to pick it up. He's yeah. like, I thought we could throw them in there. I'm like, no. I, would, that's, I said, trash goes in a trash can. Trash that's can. the only place it goes. Yeah. I said, it doesn't magically disappear because you don't see it anymore. But, you know, it's just an example of how uh, I think people think. they, You know, if they don't see it, that means it doesn't exist, right? Well, <laughs> well it does. They do think that. And the sad thing is, is I mean, when you said... I think you just said that the kid, you know, asked why can't they throw it in there or whatever. Yeah. But the sad thing is, is, you know, food sources might collect in that bottle for a small turtle or something like that. And right. it sticks its head in the bottle to get the food source out. Yep. I mean, that's the same thing as, like, you know, sticking a acorn in a bottle and right. having a squirrel try to get it out. I mean, yeah, it's virtually really, really, really harmful to the yeah the critters that live out there. Because as I told multiple other people, is I don't look at this wooded area as like our area that we live. We're actually taking away from Mother Nature because we're building, I mean, building houses, building subdivisions, building commercial buildings. We were just driving down the highway the other day, and when we were driving, there was no buildings, no nothing. And all of a sudden, out in the middle of just nowhere, construction, building these huge homes. Mm -hmm right out in the middle of nowhere so that's what i'm talking about is like before those homes were there do you think that deer probably used to use that field to to feast out of and stuff like sure. that and then now you look and you see on the news people saying oh well there's deer coming into my neighborhood well yeah because you <laughs> live <laughs> you in came the, into their neighborhood yep, you came into their area and built up your house where they used to just have nothing but what they used to live on. Yeah. And now people are, I even seen where bear, like, you know, Missouri even has bear now. Oh, yeah. And um, St. Louis County has bear. Yeah. 
Exactly. And that's the sad thing is the fact that people are saying, oh, well, there's a bear side and shoot it. No, don't shoot it. I mean, the bear should have the free will to pass through. You built in its territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't agree with the fact that, you know, yes, there are certain areas that they will tranquilize the, the animal and mm-hmm. take it to a different location further out. Um, right. I used to work for a wildlife rescue place, and what we would do is, I will not name no, no locations, but what we used to do is like get raccoons out of people's attics or yeah. get squirrels out of people's attics or right. whatever. And when we did, they would be caged, but then we had, not me, but the company had a license for us to take those to a different area, hmm. which we had drive to, which was a long ways from the city. And then you would release those animals out hmm. into the into the wild. So, hmm. um, but that to me is awesome. That's the way to do it. Um, I didn't stay with that organization for real long because um, they thought of like possums. Oh well, opossums, I guess is the exact pronunciation. <laughs> um, but uh, they thought of them as a nuisance, so hmm. they would, um, like, not release them, hmm. um, or moles, or uh, groundhogs, or right. things like that. They would uh, basically, they would take them out. They wouldn't yeah, release those in a wild area, um, but... Um, Actually, you know, possums, they only live, what, two years, right? Is that, oh, I don't even know. Yeah, I think they only live about two years. Wow. Um, they don't have a long lifespan. Hmm, I had no idea. So. Um, Boy, some of them sure do grow fast. <laughs> yes. I've seen they some get really big, big possums. But I've had, uh, actually, what's really cool is uh, in the wintertime, you were talking about your shed earlier. We have a shed in our backyard that's fairly decent size, and um, I walked out to it in the wintertime. This has been several winters back. I don't know if I told you about this or not, Mm -hmm. but um, went out there with a flashlight to get something. I don't remember what it was, and I shine the light in there, and I see these two eyes over in the corner, Mm. and they were just glowing. (laughs) <laughs> and they say possums play dead, but not when they're cornered, they don't. <laughs> they uh, they actually um, basically open their mouths and they hiss. Yeah, and, and they've got, they got like some sharp 17 million teeth, it looks like. It looks like it. But you know what we did, though, is actually I didn't go in there and I didn't shoot the possum or anything else. Um, I got my wife and... She came out and took a look at it, and we took a banana box and put a blanket in the bottom of the banana box Hmm. and put that inside the shed, and that possum stayed there throughout the winter. Hmm. And actually, believe it or not, that possum had babies that were staying 
in there with her wow. and they were staying there for a period of time and then we had you know the possum and the baby possums and stuff like yeah. that now we didn't let them into our house <laughs> but yeah we uh it's it's actually kind of cool watching the critters uh, yeah. grow up and we did we watched them go from little bitty baby possums which are really small right you've seen a baby possum not in person no yeah they're tiny yeah and they like you said they grow up really fast and they do yeah i mean um but same thing with groundhogs so i think the wildlife around our property knows that the shed is a safe ground (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i think i have a groundhog underneath my shed too yeah i've seen him traipsing through my yard have you yeah and then he'll duck under the shed when he sees us come outside well that's basically what we uh well i don't know i guess right now it's burrowed pretty deep because we do have a groundhog that has been living under our shed all summer long and as long as it's not destroying our yard and stuff like that um but yeah it's I think that it was a female groundhog groundhog because uh it got pretty plump <laughs> and it uh we have a dog that would go out in the back and that groundhog would not mess with it and right. our dog wouldn't mess with the groundhog they would look at each other yeah but periodically it got comfortable enough because our dog's not an outdoor dog our dog's an indoor dog but when we bring him out he would walk around the backyard, and if the groundhog had its head sticking out from underneath the shed, it would just lift its head and watch you walk by. But <laughs> it would never uh, really do anything other than wow. it would sometimes, if it got startled, yeah. it would turn around and go real fast back mm. under the shed. Right. I looked under the shed to see if I could see where it was at. I can't see any groundhog under there i know that there's a couple holes but i can't see down in them Mm. obviously that's far underneath the shed so Mm. um i'm assuming it probably went down into one of the holes and it's probably living there i don't know what the life expectancy is of a groundhog yeah i don't know but yeah so but anyway um well i uh i really appreciate you uh taking the time out my pleasure i we had a a good time i had a good time yeah um hope we can encourage some listeners to explore the local beauty they have in in their own area exactly it's there and definitely check it out because there's not just you know get out and travel i always say you know get out and discover the natural side yeah because there's too much stuff that you know yeah you can play games and stuff like that indoors but that's not how i grew up Mm. and i think a lot of a lot of people should get out and discover right fishing and hiking and camping and skiing and all that kind of stuff uh but enjoy the outdoors um and then absolutely what you really need to do is realize what's around you because the more you stay inside and don't discover what's outside you're going to miss something you know and there's few there's 
few feelings like the feeling of discovery, you know, and yep. uh, to, to be outside and to go exploring, to find something or to see something that you've never seen and that possibly no other person has ever seen. Exactly. I mean, there's, it's hard to beat that. I'm, you're not going to get that from a video game. No. You will never get that from a video game. And, I mean, I can honestly say that I've gotten to see some things that I know that other people are not ever going to get to see. Right. And that's like for the virgin caves and stuff like that. Right. I can tell you, I, I could bring other people to it. And if they seen it, it'd be like, <laughs> there's no way I'm crawling into that hole because that's way too tight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, but you're right. The beauty is there. And mm-hmm. the, the thing is, is um, there's a lot of people that don't even realize, like, yeah, we're here in Missouri, but did, do you realize that, like, St. Louis is built on top of so many caves? Yeah. Did you know that? Isn't the Limp Mansion... Over in the brewery, aren't they? Aren't there caves underneath? Uh, yes, there are. And I've, I've the actually brewery? been into those caves. Oh yeah, see. Yes. Yep. That's amazing. It's lost topography. Yep, lost topography, yeah. and it's uh, there, and folks don't even know. It is, and that's the really cool thing about it is the fact that um, there's a lot that people don't realize is there, but it's right underneath your feet. Right. And, you know, that's the one thing that I'm talking about. Like, I'm looking out the window right now at a houses, rooftops, roads, and stuff like that. And it's hard to imagine when I was a kid, that stuff wasn't there. When I'd look out the road, out the window, yeah. and not far from here, when I'd look out the window, all I'd see is farm fields. And stuff like that. That's basically, uh, and then I would always take off and go. I mean, my my idea of fun was not going out and playing video games. My idea of fun was going out, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, sitting on the side of the river on a log, sitting quiet. And I used to see beaver. I've had fox follow me right along my side. Right. Not right next to me, but probably 50 feet from me, and just walk right down the hillside or whatever mm-hmm. where I'm walking. And they followed me for a long distance. What it meant, I don't know. I mean, probably that they had uh, a den somewhere, but I wasn't wanting to mess with their den. I just thought yeah. it was cool that they were following me. Yeah. Um, and then what was really cool is. Not too long ago, I brought my son down to that same very area, hmm. and he actually got to see a den. Oh, wow. Um, not a den. An actual fox yeah. pop up out of the woods. So he actually got to see a fox not far from here. Wow. So in a way, that's really cool. In another way, it's kind of sad that everything's being shoved to one specific area that they have to live Right. In one little spot instead of being able to go out. But um, that's one thing that I really want to get across with this podcast and all podcasts is that nature is important. And um, if we continue building and all that kind of stuff, 
all we're doing is destroying nature and pretty soon I mean what are the kids gonna have to look at I mean right. I would like to think that my grandkids will be able to go out and go out in the woods and have a good time but yeah I know pretty what you soon mean. it's gonna be that thing that you see with a glass dome over everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so but yeah so um again i i really want to thank you for uh for your time joe my I pleasure really want to appreciate you being part of the show um really had a great time talking to you and um thank thank you, thank you. Thank you for all the listeners. Thank you guys for uh, following us. Um, if you're not following us, then please do follow us, like, subscribe, hit the bell icon so you can stay up to date, and you'll know when our next podcast is coming out. As long as you hit that bell icon, um, it'll notify you. So you guys have a, a wonderful day, and thanks again for listening. You all take care. Bye-bye.